0: Welcome to the 192nd episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Rutherford. Stay tuned for my interview with Justin Goh, author of the debut novel, The Steady Running of the Hour. Stay tuned for the interview. Well, welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Justin Goh, author of the new novel, the Steady Running of the Hour. Justin, welcome to the podcast. It's great to be here. Thanks. Great. Well, can I have you read the the first couple of pages of your novel, The Steady Running of the Hour?
1: Absolutely. Um, yeah, I'll just start with a, this is the prologue, and it's called The Fortune. The letter came by courier last week. I knew when I touched the envelope that it was fine stationery. I knew from the paper, the porous surface of pure cotton rag the watermark that shone through as I held it to the light. The letter is in my bag in the overhead compartment, but I imagined the cream fiber the feel of the engraved letterhead. Twining and Hooper, solicitors, 11 Bedford Row, London. The courier knocked at my door, the letter and a clipboard in his hands. He asked for my name. It's a special service, he explained. Send a request we check ID. I showed the courier my driver's license and signed the delivery bill. He set the letter in my hands. On my kitchen counter, I pulled the plastic zipper of the express envelope. Inside there was a smaller envelope of cream one stocks. I read the letter standing over the sink. Dear Mr. Campbell, I am trustee of an estate of which a substantial portion remains to be distributed. Information has recently come to light that suggests a significant connection between you and the main beneficiary. As we could find no current telephone number for you, we've dispatched this letter to your listed home address in the hope of making urgent contact. I cannot stress enough that the proper resolution of this matter is our utmost concern. Accordingly, I would be most grateful if you could telephone me at your earliest convenience, reverse charge, using the direct dial number listed above. For your own benefit, please retain this matter in the strictest confidence until we have had the opportunity to speak. Yours sincerely, J.F. Prashad, solicitor, private client, for and on behalf of Twining and Hooper, LLP.
0: Great. Well, if someone listening hasn't heard about your new novel yet, how would you describe the
1: steady running of the hour? Yeah. Um, well, it, it sort of starts with that letter I just read, and it's about a young guy you gets he, he, these London solicitors reach out to him and say, "We think you might be heir to this fortune." Um, it was left by a, a British mountaineer who was also a soldier in World War One um, to to a woman that that was his lover during World War One, and if if the young American um, can prove that he's related to this to this woman then he can inherit the fortune. And so uh, it's sort of a quest story involving the young man who goes to Europe and tries to find out about this past and then it switches between that past and, and I mean between his quest and the actual past, um, World War One and the 1920s Everest expedition, and, and really the, the relationship between Ashley and Imogen, the, the two historical characters gotcha and and,
0: as you just mentioned, there's this historical uh section or timeline in, in the novel, which involves World War One and the early attempts to to scale mount everest uh, do you Do you remember what sparked your initial interest in in those historical events or eras?
1: yeah, um I mean, in the Ever- in the case of everest, it was really like I think I got interested in what a lot of people did honestly, during the ninety six everest disaster and Air came out right after that. And I was in high school, and I I read about that, and and then I started wondering, you know, like, why do people climb mountains, and just some basic questions about, well, you know, what is it like to be a mountaineer? But then I also started that book, and other things made me aware of, of George Mallory and the the first uh, attempts to climb Everest in the 1920s, which which were which is just a t- totally different world, and very romantic in certain ways, and, and shrouded in mystery because they don't know whether Mallory disappeared on his his summit attempt in 1924. And it's, it's possible that he might've actually climbed the mountain first, um, before threatened Hillary. So I guess the sort of mystery and also romance of, of the mountaineering of the 1920s was, was one of my ways into the story.
0: And in terms of world war one, I, I mean, was that just,
1: um, this, yeah, very much the same thing. Um, it's like, they were separate interests that only came together at the last moment. I, I had, you know, read about the war and been interested in it since I was a kid. I read Quiet on the Western front when I was in school. And I, I mean, I never really thought that I was an aficionado of it per se, but I, I'd always felt sort of tied to it almost like I, as if I had some sort of personal connection, which I didn't, I mean, I grew up in Southern California and I don't know that I have any relatives who even fought in it, but it, it always really intrigued me, you know, the mud and the trenches and, and what we think of is, is, you know, war on the Western front. And, and at one point, I, I was reading the letters of Wilfred Owen, the war poet, who's, um, where the book gets its title from one of his poems. And and I realized, you know, I was touched by their beauty. And at some point, I realized that all the people who had been in the 20s Everest expeditions had also gone through the war. And it seemed like such a powerful set of experiences to go through. And I I kind of, that was, that was when I first started thinking about, well, what were their lives like? And what would it be like if, if something from the past came out and touched somebody in the present? sure
0: sure so so when you started thinking about that did did you do a lot of research before you started writing the novel or did you start working on it and then kind of uh figure out what you needed to research as part of writing the novel <laughs> what was that process actually like?
1: <laughs> I, actually i i i probably should have done what you suggested and um figured out what i actually <laughs> needed to know instead of just blindly researching you know I think, but that's part of the process, you know, because it's really unclear what you actually need to know. And I'm kind of going through this um, all over again, you know, every time you start a new story, because part of the process of of writing a historical book is figuring out what really interests you. Um, Even if you say you knew that you were writing a book about uh, Everest or about the war, you know, you you need to find your characters. And so you want to know, you know, what social class are they from? What are they interested in? What kind of music do they listen to? Everything about them, you know? And so that... It started off very very broad. So I I did start researching before I started writing, but it, I very quickly started writing mm-hmm. and kind of was researching and writing continuously, but so I tried to write the parts that I could write. So I wrote a lot of the parts involving Tristan, the present day character. And sometimes I would write scenes where I didn't know, you know, all the details and then I the historical details for things I would fill them in. But I felt tremendous pressure to get the details right for the for the Everest, and especially for the war stuff, and so those those scenes were written uh, nearly last. But the research was a, a never ending process. I mean, I was researching up into copy editing, so not even that long ago, I was still in the library checking things.
0: Sure, and did and I'm I'm curious. I mean, given that, did you did you have anyone uh, uh, did you have any kind of um, early readers or proofreaders with knowledge of those events or or or.
1: No. And in fact, you know, I, that would yeah, you God that would have made it a lot easier. Um, I had no readers. I had no readers of any kind, not even, not even really fiction readers, you know, just to read for, for the prose or for the story or whatever, because I was really out of my own. I, I didn't, it was a really personal project and it only sort of turned the corner at the last moment, even though I was committed to it. I, 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 never, I didn't show it to anybody until I was done.
0: Sure. and I
1: didn't, I, I'd never taken a writing class and I, you know, I felt, I was scared about, you know, what it meant that I what what I was doing, what it meant and whether whether it was working. And so probably the last thing I would have wanted to do would be to show it to an expert um in in any field. Sure. But sure. I, you know, eventually I had to, to, well, well, to get an agent and all that.
0: Well, well, that that that's kind of interesting. I mean, so so tell me about that. I mean, um you you said that you had had never written or taken a writing class. So what what kind of made you decide um I'm going to sit down and write this novel. That's kind of, you know, uh, a quest novel from the present, but with this historical uh, background and timeline. What What was that process yeah. like for you?
1: Yeah, I mean, I had written um, a little bit of a kind of. I tried to write a novel before, but I, 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 it was definitely like a very amateurish thing where I just. I had lived in Europe and I had sort of a bohemian life, and I'd met some inspiring people who encouraged me to write, and so I had done that, but then it had just been like a hobby, you know, and I, I hadn't studied creative writing and I'd never written a short story or anything or published anything. So when I started writing this, this book and I got the idea in my head, you know, reading that historical stuff, a lot of it just came out of I don't know some personal desire to, to have more from my life, you know, writing it just on the side after I got home from, I was working at a law firm in New York at the time and I'd get, get home and write on the evenings or weekends or start plotting the book. So, it wasn't clear, I mean, although I believed in the book on some level, it wasn't clear that it was going to become something as serious as it did. It, it was sort of an ongoing process by which it gradually kind of gathered momentum, and then eventually I got "Oh, I quit my job, and I quit my job and moved to Berlin to write it. But even as I was doing that, I, I didn't really know what, you know, I, I, didn't, I didn't quite believe that it was happening. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, and, and I had to learn how to, how to, as far as the actual writing of the novel goes, you know, I, I had to one, by I basically went by trial and error, the old fashioned way, I suppose, where you learn from reading, you know, you, I would look at books to see how, how the writers that I admired, who are for the most part, you know, dead anyway, well, gone, um, did stuff. And I, you know, and that, that was my, that was my model.
0: That's interesting. So, so you just mentioned, I mean, who, who are the writers that you, that you admire or that, that inspire you?
1: Um, a lot of uh early 20th century stuff, so really the stuff from this period. I, I like Hemingway and Fitzgerald and Faulkner, the, the American writers, and also the British, um, uh, Virginia Woolf, um, Ian e. Forster, and and uh, later people, George Orwell. So, uh, you know, a lot of a kind of uh, all different kinds of people, really. I mean, I, I guess I, I suppose you could say that I sort of took what was useful from different people, and in a way, sometimes I really. Admiring a very, I, I admire a very kind of clean, sort of stripped-down prose style like Hemingway mm-hmm. or Orwell used. But at the same time, I would find myself going off <laughs> into something much more flowery sometimes, and I would try to cut it down. So even what you read doesn't necessarily—I um, mean, w- what comes out of you is sometimes surprising. But but I think I really started—I I wrote this book because I had this sort of same taste as the period that I'm writing, you know, that, the kind of—the way that they used to write then. And and since I didn't really read it later stuff, it it really became, you know— like an organic style, almost like like I was I was influenced by this stuff because I was reading it for historical sources, but it was also just the kind of writing that I grew to like. Um, but I also tried to maintain in the book. There's somewhat of two distinct styles because there's Tristan's story, the American story, which I think I tried to make a little bit more American and sort of like uh, taught you know, and terse and kind of uh, shorter. And then the the third person style, the historical style, which which is uh, uh, probably a little bit more, um, I don't know, a little bit more descriptive, I would say.
0: Gotcha. And and how, how long was that, that process that you just described of where you were, um, you know, starting to, to, to do the research and then you started writing and you were working at the law firm and, and uh, until you kind of, I guess, typed the words, at the end. <laughs>
1: um. From, well, yeah, from, I, I would say, God, I mean, it's, it's, the thing is, is the, the the timelines are never as neat as they as they sure, sure. sound. From the moment that I started, that I had the idea of the book until now, is about seven years. Okay.
0: Um,
1: and so, from the moment that I started writing the book, I, I would say it was about a year before I quit my job and moved to write, work on it full time. And, and I was, and that, and I would say that when I moved to Berlin after the, you know, in the, in the second year of the book is when I wrote most of the first draft, and then I probably finished it in around the third year. Um, and, and I spent, you know, two years probably revising it first with my agent and then with my editor. Um, and then there's probably a year of sort of, uh, copy editing sort of cleanup and other things, you know, stuff like that. Sure. Um, so yeah, that, so in the end, it's it somehow kind of with, uh, with other delays at various points, it sort of goes into seven years. But, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, there was, it wasn't like, there were always moments in which you were working a lot harder than others, I suppose.
0: Sure. And, and what was the path to publication like? I mean, you do you, first of all, do you remember who the first person was outside of yourself that you showed it to, or was it, did you send it to agents without any of your friends or acquaintances?
1: Uh, I sent it to friends and, uh, you know, waited with bated breath and heard nothing because <laughs> nobody read it, which was incredibly discouraging. Um, and that, you know, and I'd started writing something else and I kind of was like, maybe, you know, maybe this book is such a mess because the book was, it had just been driving me crazy with the with the, the plot lines that switch back and forth and stuff like that. um it had been it had been it had given me a lot of trouble, and I was pretty close to giving up because I was really sick of it. And my mom sort of convinced me that I should send it to agents and which I had been planning to do but hadn't really I'd been honestly kind of scared because I'd gone so long without learning about the business that I was worried that I would find that I had done everything wrong. but but that had kind of been a motivating factor. Don't get involved in the business, you know, and so I, I sort of hastily made up a list of agents. Um and sent it to one um right um and I he immediately asked for the manuscript and uh, after he read it or he, he called me that the night that I sent the manuscript and said that he was he was uh, gonna stay up on my reading it and he sent me a contract in the morning wow. and so yeah, and so I had to hastily kind of submit it to a bunch of other agents because I couldn't just go with the first guy that I that I had signed up for or you know that I thought of, but, but, uh, but it was, it was actually the most stressful part of my life because it was also extremely exciting and completely surreal to hear other people be talking about something that had been intensely private to me. You know, it's like people reading your mind. These characters felt like they were just, you know, mine and suddenly, you know, other people were talking about it as if it was a real book.
0: And, and what was the, what was the uh, publication process like once the, the agent sent it in for, uh, for publishers. Was there, was there an auction?
1: Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, again, uh, you, it kind of went through these cycles where, sure. you know, I got my agent and it was, you know, I went to New York and met agents and chose one. And that was super exciting. And then we sort of worked on it forever. <laughs> and it was really boring. <laughs> and I was out on, you know, in my writing game for a while. And then, and then suddenly, you know, the manuscript was finished. And, and then it was another exciting thing where it went to, it went to auction. And, um, I talked, you know, I, I talked, I was a the people who were bidding so I had I don't know seven or eight conversations with with editors who are interested in the book within a week or something um, which it made it very difficult to get to get them all straight because they were um, a lot of them are were the same age and they were almost all women and um, but we, you know and so they, it was very exciting though and then you know they would tell you what they thought about the book and well you know what they thought maybe they would like to work on and you would say whether you were comfortable with it and stuff and and then it went to auction and then you know we decided, to go with uh, Simon Schuster, who published the book. But yeah, it was, it was a tremendously exciting period. That, that's amazing.
0: So, so did any of your friends end up reading the manuscript?
1: Yeah, of course. I found out <laughs> later that one of my friends had actually read it like when I first sent it out. And she was like, oh, I thought it was so good. And I was like, you read it? Why didn't you tell me? I couldn't use the sport. <laughs> Um But yeah, I mean, although I have to say on the other hand, also, you know, some people I think... Like, I, I another of one of my friends, right before the, uh, I think it went out to to agents and, and I was getting it signed, who was one of my best friends and really supportive, so told me, look, I don't think the book's ready. Um, and he knew something about the publication process. He said, I don't think it's ready and I think you need to work on it. And, you know, you need to change this stuff. And I think in a way he was right because he anticipated some of the things that had been changed. But I also think when it comes to your friends, they might not always be the best readers because they can't see it. I don't know. Sure. You know their perspective is different it's like i you're kind of reluctant to be a friend as a writer, yeah yeah
0: well well are you comfortable talking about what you're working on now? yeah, well, there's not that much
1: to talk about unfortunately <laughs> because because i haven't um I haven't gotten too far i am I'm, I'm just i'm 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 working on another historical book I mean I sort of thought about doing other stuff, but I think I'm gonna do other stuff later sure. I do one more to sort of ma- try to master the form since I spent so much time working on on it before but i think it'll take place just in the past in the 1920s so later so it sort of starts when this one would end. this book ends in the mid-20s and which is right really on the cusp of the very exciting period of the late 1920s you know the crazy 20s and and in europe that meant you know expat artists on the left bank and uh, you know cabaret in berlin and but also po- political instability and the lead-up to the second world war so it'll be in the 20s and 30s and all over europe probably and will also i think involve some Adventure, what you know, what we might call adventure, like like this other book. Um, but I, you know, I, I'm right now again at that stage. We we were talking about earlier with the where the, I'm looking at a sea of research, and I I'm, I'm trying to narrow it down to the to the, the story that that really calls to me because I know I'm going to be working on it for a long time.
0: Sure, sure. Well, well, well Given your success with with writing, and then and then getting uh, the steady running of, of the hour published. Um, do you have advice for other writers who who may want to get their own stories or novels published?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I think I would say that on on the one hand, it I think it really helps to 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 work hard on your stuff and bring it up to so a very you know to the best standard that you you can. Um, I certainly tried hard to bring the prose quality up to the standard. The, the best standard that I could for my book, you know, after I'd finished, I, I just, I just line edited the, the words themselves over and over again. And so when I finally submitted to agents, I think, I think, you know, the writing was as good as I could make it. But at the same time, you know, you can't, you can't stay. It's a tricky balance between, between you got to do the best you can, but you can't, at some point you got to be brave and just show it to other people, you know? And I think, uh, a, a, a beginning writer is always sort of walking the fine line between, you have to be humble um, but you also have to believe in your stuff, you know, and, and you have to be willing to learn from everybody and to, to sort of take advice. But on the, on the other hand, I think, um, you have to also absolutely, you know, you have to have some drive. You can't, you can't, um, just do whatever everybody says. Otherwise you wind up with, you know, like a Hollywood movie, which is written by a committee. I mean, great, great writing is a product of one person's, person's, uh, intelligence. Um, so I think... You know, I, I guess. I guess in the end, though, we we all have to believe in ourselves. Because, you know, if the book hadn't been picked up, or if all this stuff could, hadn't happened, the whole time that I was writing this book, you know, I really didn't think anything of myself. I really, I, I was afraid to call myself a writer. And now I call myself a writer, and all I'm doing is going around on a book tour. You know, um, so I, I feel like, you know, on some level, you can't let you can't let the world decide whether you're a writer. And and although you should be willing to learn, I think. I think you also you should try to take pride in what you do and just and just let yourself be a writer and 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 and, and work and work through it and be patient um and because you no matter where you get you know whether now that my book is published and stuff there's always going to be ups and downs and you can see that in the careers of all the great writers sure there are moments where you know Hemingway or Fitzgerald you know Fitzgerald when Fitzgerald died, the great Gatsby the original printings were still in the scribner's warehouse they never even sold out of them does that mean the book wasn't good? Now it's like this great classic, and so, so I mean, you can't leave, you can't leave your, your self. I guess what I'm trying to say is that you can't leave your self-esteem or your sense of worth as a writer um, up to up to the world. I mean, you got to, you got to, you got to learn from everybody, but but also believe in your work and just be pleased that you did it at all. And I'm, I'm that's something I try to re- remember every day because it's hard.
0: Right. So, so what was the what was the process like for you once Simon and Schuster? uh purchase the book, the the editing process, was that was that difficult for you or did you welcome it after so long of working on it yourself?
1: Well, actually the thing is and I in my case and I think in a lot of people's cases, um you do a lot of editing with your agent now. Sure. Because sure. because of the nature of the publishing houses that's yeah. changed and, yeah. and for various reasons. So so I did the I, I would say that I had already been working editing the book for almost a year, for about a year with my agent right. by the time it was sold. Because that agent wants to get it in the best shape possible for sale. So I was really familiar with the, I mean, the editing process of my both my editor and agent. It was pretty was pretty much a very it was a very kind of cordial written process involving back and forth with the draft and and editorial letters and emails and some phone conversations. But it was not it was not some kind of you know like screaming match over whether or oh, not yeah, we, yeah. I could do this or that. You know, I mean, or even you know, it was just not that dramatic. I think a lot of it was really focused on. Um, would say, like, character motivation. True. It wasn't like, we're going to change this. It was, we need to change this plot element. It was more like, we need to understand why this happened. Yeah. And we need to, you know, we need to show this, this development in a character in this way or that way, which, which is a good challenge. And, you know, I learned a lot from it. I would only say that the only hard part about it is just, especially if it's your first book, you're just waiting so long for it to come out.
0: Yeah, You know, I mean,
1: um, that, that 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 was, that was the frustrating thing, right? I think that hopefully I'll be more patient with this one because the book's already out and, you know, I can tell people I have a book and and whatever, but it, you know, it's, I think, I think, uh, sometimes I would, I would get down on myself and think, gosh, you know, seven years just to do one book and and so-and-so can write a book in a year or whatever. But I mean, you can't think that way. And in the end, of course, most writers are not remembered for a shelf of books, but for one or two books. So,
0: sure. So, so what are you reading now?
1: Oh gosh, um, I'm reading <laughs> so many books uh, at once. I'm reading uh, the book called *The Word Exchange*. Um, I'm actually doing a, a literary event in, in New York uh, next week. It's, uh, it's, it's by Alina, Alina Graydon, and it's about a. It's a sort of like a dystopian book about a future in which words are sort of bought and sold, and everybody's um, addicted to these handheld devices um, that are sort of like smartphones, but much more intrusive and make decisions for you. It's a pretty. It's a really, really a pretty gripping or intriguing story. I'm also reading a, a lot of history books about the First World War because in July will be the, the 100th anniversary. And I've right. been doing sort of panels and talking about, you know, and it's often come up on tour. So I'm reading a book called The War That Ended Peace by Margaret McMillan, which is a, sort of a book about, about the, the outbreak of World War I. Um, and uh, gosh, I don't know. I'm all, there's always, and oh, and I was just starting to read The Sun by Philip Meyer, but I've gotten very far. Um I, there's always there's always so much stuff to read. The the thing is once you're of course also once you're a, a writer and then you've got you've got other stuff to read for you've got both your research books, but then suddenly people are sending you books, you know, or you get access <laughs> to free books so you're doing these events and then it becomes crazy. The only way I can kind of manage to to keep at it nowadays is, is by listening to audiobooks because it gives me more time to read when I'm not sitting behind a desk. Right. right.
0: Well, great. Well, again, we've been speaking with Justin Goh, author of the new novel, The Steady Running of the Hour. His novel is available in bookstores now, so go grab a copy. Justin, thanks for doing this interview.
1: Thank you. It's a, it's a pleasure.